Hey, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text of God's Word and subjects related, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and observe it with our whole hearts, as the psalmist wrote, Psalm 119, verse 34. In this episode, I want to discuss the subject of change. It was Albert Einstein who once said, The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. I want to say that again. The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And I think there's truth in that. This episode will also feature a post that was recently, just today, made online that I thought was very good. And it was put out by a fellow evangelist of the gospel, Kyle Ellison. And he is a located preacher, from my understanding, in Alabama. I do not know him personally, but I know of him from social media. And sometimes he puts things out that I think are good. And this is one of those things that I want to share. I want to read it and challenge you with his thoughts. They're biblical, scriptural, practical thoughts. And then make my own comments on it as I go uh, to make it my own podcast episode. He starts out and he says, Change is a hard thing, especially when it is concerning a deeply held belief or practice that we've long held on to. And I'll pause there, make my comment. This is so true. And I have observed this in my own life and in the lives around me as I have been blessed to be reared around the church. And I have seen others as well as myself struggle with change. And I have seen people divide have uh, ill will, animosity, or ignore one another, drop out, if you will, fall off as friends because they have uh, different deeply held beliefs and neither of them are willing to change. Neither, Neither of them are willing to consider that they might need to change. And so I'm going to continue now reading. Kyle says, typically speaking, humans are not fond of change. Look around your church parking lot on Sunday, and you will see that we do not even like to park in different places. I have experienced my fair share of changes, particularly when I believed God's Word demanded something different of me than what I was doing or practicing. And I'll pause there again and make a comment. I love that. It's so true that typically we do not like change. And we often, usually always, I should say, park in the same places at the church building. And we nearly always, most brethren, sit in the same seats. And that's not inherently wrong, but it illustrates the fact, the truth that he is saying, that change is hard and that we like to be people of habit and consistency. He says, I've experienced my fair share of changes, especially, particularly when he believed God's word demanded something of him different. And that's what I want this episode to be about. I want it to be about seeking God's will, desiring to understand God's word more accurately, more correctly. I think of Aquila and Priscilla taking Apollos aside. Apollos was a wonderful man, but he misunderstood something. And so he needed to be taken aside and taught the word of the Lord more accurately acts 18 verse 26 
This episode is not necessarily about us taking someone aside. I want us to consider about ourselves personally, me, myself, and I, you, you, yourself, knowing when a change is needed in our own lives, not in the lives of others. This episode is about me as a person, about you as a person individually, not us looking at other people. That's that's needed to help other people. But the first and foremost is self. Kyle says, I've experienced my fair share of changes, particularly when I believe God's word demanded something different of me than what I was doing or practicing. And that's what I want us to consider we need to be thinking that if in my seeking God, in my understanding of God's Word, in my learning of God's Word, in my walk as a Christian, as I'm trying to walk by the Spirit, the Word of God, then I am to pay close attention to what it teaches, seek to understand it properly, and apply it to my life in the way that God would have me. Kyle further writes, It has been no secret over several years that I have been forced to reckon with hard scriptures. It has altered my position on some really touchy subjects concerning salvation, baptism, end times, and many other church teachings that we all may be comfortable as is with. Even today, I still have some positions that I am not totally clear on as I am working through them. There are days I do not agree with myself. There are days that I differ with some conclusions that close friends have arrived at. There are days when I revisit particular topics and issues. I am not advocating that you be so open-minded that your brain falls out. But do not be so dismissive when an issue comes to mind that you need to reconcile with God's Word. The truth is that we is that as we grow in God's Word, we will be forced to test all things and see if what we hold to is good or not. It does not matter what family, friend, theologian, neighbor, uh, father, preacher, or mother says. It matters what God's Word says, and when it demands a change, may we be so bold as to say, Here am I, Lord, I will go. And then he quotes 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Kyle, thank you for posting this online. I doubt you'll ever hear this podcast, but if you ever do or someone you know hears this and you tell Kyle, thank you, Kyle. This is a very... Uh, straightforward, straight to the point, simple yet very clear truth in this post that we need to be people who are seeking and testing and learning the will of God, not merely taking positions. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Examine, the King James says prove. The New King James says test. Examine everything carefully. And that's, as children of God, that's how we must be. We can't think, well, this is what my favorite preacher taught. I know he's godly. I know he's honest. I know his life. That means that what I've been taught 
is right. We can't thank my mom and dad. They're the best people I know. They're faithful members of the one church, and that means that what they taught me is right. It could be that they are right, but they are not right because they said it's right. They would be right on that occasion because what they believe and or teach is what God's Word says and teaches. We are to test all things. Examine everything carefully. It means we need to be willing to scrutinize what we be. I just can't. I'm at a lack of words. Uh, let me see if I can rephrase it, or let me see if I can put this in some other words that will maybe be more broad that might help reach more people and what I'm saying by being specific broad but specific <laughs> if you are like me and you grew up around the church it's easy to think that you're on top of the mountain that you've heard all the arguments that you quote unquote hold the right position or that you have the correct interpretation of a certain verse or chapter of the Bible. But the only way to be convinced whether or not one has the proper interpretation is to not only study it, but to examine it carefully. And that can include, let me suggest, bouncing it off of other people. You know, God never intended for Christians to be islands, to live on islands, to be, to be uh, people that uh, hold, the, hold the faith privately only and we don't uh, bounce our ideas and our understanding of Scripture off of each other. There are a lot of one another passages in Scripture. There are charges in Scripture uh, for us to... As I read a moment ago, Kyle put in the original post, 2 Timothy 2.15, to be diligent. That means make every effort to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the New American Standard Bible says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. What can help us in accurately handling the Word of God is, number one, studying the Word of God with a sincere and open and honest heart very carefully, examining it carefully, asking questions of the text, seeking to keep the text in its context with its historical background and its intended original purpose. The meaning of every verse, the meaning of every chapter in the Bible is not my interpretation or some church's view or some denomination's interpretation or some famous preacher on TV, what they say. The meaning of the Scripture, the original meaning, is whatever the original writer meant when he wrote it, in its setting, in its context, with its words, and what those words mean. And we are to handle the word of truth accurately. And that would include bouncing ideas off of others. You know, I'm going to run this past you, friend. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I've been studying this. I'm not sure. What about this? I want those that listen to my podcast to know that, that when I say I do this podcast so that I can understand the Word of God and others can understand it so that we can keep God's Word, I mean that with all my heart. See, I study the Word of God so that I can make sure I understand it correctly. I have the proper biblical uh, interpretation, not my own 
interpretation apart from a serious, careful examination of God's Word. And so, it's okay if there are some things, there are some things that we're not totally clear on. What we need to do is just study them more, think on them more, and ask others. Bump it off of somebody else. Say, hey, talk to one of your friends. Say, I've been studying this. I'm wondering, does it mean this? And bump that idea off of someone else and then open the Word of God and, and examine it carefully. Sometimes I find myself, as I know other teachers of God's Word, finds themselves in the situation where they study more on their own and for themselves and they realize that what they once thought or, once they or what they once believed was not completely accurate. And I like the words of Kyle in this article. He says, look, I'm not advocating that we be so open-minded that our brains fall out. And that's a, that's a figure of speech, obviously. But it, but it certainly illustrates, illustrates and states a point. There are some who, who would accept error or claim or pretend that error is okay because we need to be excuse me, we need to be open-minded people. <clears throat> well, we don't need to be so open-minded that our brain falls out, that we quit using reason and logic and study. But on the other hand, we do not be so dismissive when an issue comes to mind and so dismissive about anything anyone says that we won't consider what they're saying, that we are not willing to open God's Word and and consider it again, to study it one more time, to ask questions. The truth is, as Kyle said, we are supposed to be a growing people as Christians. We're to examine everything carefully, test all things, and see if what we believe, what we hold to, is good. Again, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, this is what N.B. Hardiman said. Well, this is what Guy N. Wood said. Well, this is what Aaron Dodson said. This, this is what Brock Kendall says. This is what Tony Brewer says. This is what, uh, just name your preacher. Instead, what matters is what God's Word says. And we must be a people who are willing when we realize we need to change, that, we, that God's Word demands a change, that we say, okay, where does God and His Word want to take me? What, what, what about what I believe do I need to change according to the text? One comment under this particular post that I have read and shared with you is a comment from an individual that I do not know a Kevin Markham, and I like his comment. I want to share it in this episode as well. Again, this is a comment under Kyle Ellison's original post that I shared at the beginning of this episode of my podcast. He wrote, in our circle, particularly for preachers, there is a lot of pressure to have a position on everything. In fact, sometimes sermons can easily go from preaching the gospel to more or less the equivalent of a politician stating his position so that we can decide if he's in line with us or not. 
I felt like I had to have a position on every controversial matter. Here lately, I've been trying to do a better job of not forcing myself to take a position on something unless I am convinced of the evidence for it. That's tough when, we, when so many insist that we pick a side. He says, seeking is a process slash journey. Amen. I agree wholeheartedly. And if you're listening to this and you're a Bible class teacher or, or, or a teacher of God's Word in any kind, if you're a Christian and you're, you're, you're trying to carry out the Great Commission, you're trying to teach others the gospel, don't think that you have to have a position on everything. Well, what's your position on marriage, divorce, and remarriage? If you had not studied the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage very carefully from Scripture, don't take a quote-unquote position. Now, I'm not advocating that you remain in the dark, remain in ignorance. I'm not advocating that whatsoever. But if someone asks you a question about a subject and you don't know because you haven't studied it carefully for yourself, just say, you know, I need to study that more. I'm not sure. And there have been occasions where I've needed and have said that. Well, Aaron, what about this? What do you think about that? What does the Bible say about A, B, C, or D? And if I didn't know, I just said, you know, honestly, I'm not sure and there's been times where I thought I might know, and I said, I think it might be this, but I might be wrong. It's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. Don't force yourself into taking a position because that's what your parents believe, your grandparents, your wife, your husband, your favorite preacher, or an elder that you love in the church, or your favorite commentary series, or anything like that. Only believe something and have conviction about something because you are convinced of the evidence for it from your own study and what this does is make for genuine faith it makes for genuine faith and a more biblical scriptural a faith based on where the text leads again first thessalonians 5 21 in the new american standard bible but examine everything carefully. I love the way that's worded. Hold fast to that which is good. We're to be people who examine everything carefully. And not just take a side, not just take a position. And when we see a change needs to be made, you say, I believed this about Scripture. And I'm going to change my view because I've studied it. Not because I just read a line or two in a commentary or I read an article on the internet. But because I have examined it carefully for myself. Again, change is, is hard. Especially when it's concerning a deeply held belief or practice that we've long held on to. We don't like change. But change is necessary when we realize that we believe the wrong thing. May we never be so prideful that we will not change what we believe admit that we've changed when we have examined something carefully from god's word and we realize oop i was wrong oop i don't think i had it quite lined up with the way the word of god has it laid out now i want to give you an example of something that i have changed my view on quote unquote that i have learned from my own study and i've put things together and I've tried to keep things in context, and it's something that I used to believe, but I'm going to share with you what I now believe about this particular subject. And the subject I want to mention, I do not believe, pertains to being saved. 
Instead, it pertains to something that was written in the first century that was for the people in the first century. It was no doubt to them, and it was for them. The principles of it are for us today, but it was not written to us, and we'll have to uh, study that matter carefully, examine it carefully in order to not over-apply anything in it. The book of Revelation. And I'm going to give you an example of such. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says, And he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I love the thought of that. I love those words. Now what does it mean? I'm going to, if I can... I'm doing this on the fly here. Please forgive me. Doot, 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 doot. Revelation. All right. Well, where did it go? Here's something that I put together. Oh, I wish I could see what it says. How many years ago? Not many years ago. It's been in, It's been less than five years ago. But some notes I put together on the dating uh, of the book of Revelation, the oppressor in the book, and the fulfillment of the contents of the book. And I'm going to uh, come down here, and I'm going to read part of this on my podcast to just show you how um, my view has changed, even though I once held on to something very closely, very dearly and why I changed my view. If I can just put my finger on it. I'm sorry for the delay. Revelation 24, ver, uh, 21, verse 4, For many years, I believe, because I often heard from faithful godly preachers, this is talking about the eternal state and how heaven will have no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no sorrow, no pain. And Revelation 21, I was told often that it depicts uh, a city with a great high wall and stones. And I always heard people say, now that's not literal. The city doesn't literally have rocks and jewels and gold. The street's not literally. But it figuratively describes heaven and so forth, and that, that sounds good. It may be that heaven um, is a place where it's like gold or has gold. I really don't know, and honestly, no disrespect to God's Word, but I really don't care whether or not heaven has streets of gold. I just want to go there. But Revelation 20, which comes before 21, speaks of the judgment of Rome and the emperor, Domitian. And I believe that is, that is borne out uh, by the fact that the book cannot be split into part of it being fulfilled and another part not being fulfilled because there's no good reason to avoid a straightforward reading of these time signatures in the book where John says the time is near. It's at hand. It's about to shortly come to pass. Don't seal the book. It's about to happen. 
John 20, I believe, speaks of the judgment of Rome and the emperor. But I did not always believe that. Prior to that, I thought, well, Revelation 20, that's talking about the end of time. At the very end of time, Satan will be bound to be thrown in. He'll be thrown in a, a dungeon in a bottomless pit and and there'll be a rain for a thousand years. And then I changed my mind and said, no, we're living in the thousand years now. And, and well, no, I changed my mind again. It's figurative. It doesn't literally mean a thousand years. And well, what do I believe now? Revelation 21 is John not seeing the eternal state of heaven, but he's seeing the victorious church in the first century after God judges Domitian and Rome. And he sees the church emerging in a new environment. <clears throat> and I think Revelation 22 is a continuation of the church then in a new setting. Revelation 22, same continuation, continuing thoughts. I now believe that John is building on the style of the Old Testament prophets and that this, and that this part of Revelation should be interpreted uh, with the with those exegetical principles in view. For example, that this is a highly symbolic figurative book and that all of the events in the book were imminent and that there is no serious contextual reason to think that it's not imminent. It was not imminent then when he wrote it. Again, John wrote that the book was to be left unsealed since it was at, at since it was at hand, Revelation twenty two ten. Now back in Daniel chapter eight, verse twenty six, Daniel had penned that he was to seal his vision because the vision was distant future. And the context of Daniel eight twenty six has Antiochus the fourth and Epiphanes in view, many, many, many years before. For Daniel, around 539 B.C., the event would not be, though, for another few hundred years, around 165 B.C. So a good question that we can ask is, if Daniel's vision was for many days distant and to be sealed because the vision was approximately 350 years in the future, is there any credibility for a view that claims that Revelation still requires fulfillment at yet a future time? I think the answer is, when you study the context carefully and the time signatures of the book, the answer is no. John was specifically told that he was not to seal the book because it was at hand. It's at hand, he said. Now, let's see here. In my past notes, I have the fact that the book has its own time signatures, claiming that the things in the book will quickly take place, the basic English Bible says. It must shortly happen, the New English Bible. It must come to pass very soon, the Moffat Bible. The Weist translation says, things which must come to pass in their entirety shortly. The New American Standard Bible, the things which must shortly take place. And there are many other translations, including the well-known ones like the American Standard Version, the New King James Version, the ESV, and the Christian Standard Bible, all those more modern translations that say 
these things must shortly come to pass, shortly take place. Of course, those translations are in perfect agreement with the testimony of independent scholars, and many of them. So I'm going to conclude that Revelation 21 is not about the eternal state. If it's about the eternal state, then it's already come to pass because everything from Revelation 1 to Revelation 22, verse 6 and following is about to take place in John's time. Somebody says, well, part of it was about to take place, but the last part wasn't. Where does it say that? Where does it say that only part of it was about to come to pass and there were other parts of it that were not going to? Instead, you have at the beginning of the book, and I'm going to give you those time signatures very quickly. I've got them here in my notes somewhere. Thank you so much for your patience. Um, if you're still listening to this, the, the, the timing of fulfillment, the time signatures, John, again, he opens and ends the book by saying the things which were to shortly take place, chapter 1, verse 1, he said that at the end of the book, chapter 22, verse 6. He says they were at hand, chapter 1, verse 3, and chapter 22, verse 10. And he was to leave his book unsealed, chapter 22, verse 10. Again, these are fixed statements at the beginning and the end of the book to demonstrate the timing of the whole book. So if I come along... And I say, well, Revelation 21, 4, that's about heaven. So then that would then require us to say that we are now in heaven or that heaven has begun. There are people there and we missed it. We're left behind or something, which is silly, too. It's ludicrous. Neither is the case. Again, well, what is it? What What is the new heavens and the new earth? Revelation, uh, what is it, 21, verse 1? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's a new environment wherein the church dwelt and existed after the church was vindicated over the persecution of Rome and Domitian. That's what I have come to believe. And I did not always believe that. I was taught some other ideas by good people who I believe, if they still believe those things, they're going to heaven so long as they remain loyal to Jesus and his word. What I'm saying is that I had to be willing to change, even if it meant changing my mind about what I had believed for many, many years. And this is true, whether it pertains to something directly to our salvation or if it pertains to something that we do not see as directly pertaining to salvation, but instead something that's more academic, more about things that do not directly have anything to do with us, not directly anyway. And we have to be willing to change. But again, we struggle with change. Change is hard, don't we? We, ch we struggle with it. But what I want this podcast to be about is a reminder that we need to be willing to change. And I'm sure there's something in your life that you have changed, that you have realized you were wrong about, something needed to change. And it could be that you're listening to this and there are yet things that you or I will need to change and we will learn about those things as we study and meditate upon God's Word. When we seek to know its proper interpretation, its proper meaning, 
in its proper context. And I believe context is key to understanding Scripture correctly, to interpreting it correctly. We consider many things in the study of God's Word. I want to end with this, 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. The New American Standard Bible translates it, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. We need to be willing to admit, I, I could be wrong. And folks, if we don't think we're wrong, it's okay to think that and believe it. I don't think I'm wrong, but I'm willing to examine everything carefully. Now, we have studied things very carefully and we're convinced that someone else is teaching error, something that would cause someone to be lost, well, we, we do need to take issue. The Word of God and our conscience both would require us to take issue with, that is to speak up, to defend, to, to ask questions, and to protect the truth, and to protect the flock, or protect a brother and sister, and to protect our own minds and our own soul from something that we're convinced is wrong. I think the best thing that we can do when we hear something is ask that person that we hear, what is it exactly that you mean? What did you mean by what you said here, here, or there? That's so important to have an open dialogue, but also being willing in that study to, hey, I may need to change something in the way I think about things. The ability to change is the measure of intelligence. Sadly, millions do not change. They're not willing to change. And many people are stuck where they are in their belief system because they cannot examine things carefully. They cannot ask the hard questions or they are not willing to do so. I hope something I've said has motivated you or stirred you. May you be a person who's willing to change because you're willing to examine everything carefully, and you do. And sometimes as you do it, you realize you may have been off a lot, a little bit, or a tiny little bit. That's what God's Word is for, though, to change us. Not to make us think we're okay where we are and we've topped out and we know everything. And you know, when we hear a preacher say that or listen to a podcast, may laugh at that, but folks, don't be the kind of person that acts like they know everything. You know, and acting like you know everything doesn't mean you tell everybody, I think I know everything. It means I'm not willing to possibly change if necessary. I've given up on the idea that I could be wrong. I've become haughty or arrogant. I'm not willing to continually, daily study the Word. And I'll end with that, Acts 17, 11. We need to be like the Bereans of old who were noble. And they were more noble than the Thessalonians in that they received the Word with all, all readiness of mind. Oh, wow. Great eagerness, the New American Standard Bible says. They examined the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And if you have an eager heart to learn God's Word, and you're searching the Scriptures daily to see if the things you're being taught are so, I would say you are well on your way to making a change in your life if and when it's needed because you've learned such by the Word of God. Well, I hope you've gotten, again, hope you've gotten something out of this. This talk has been good for me. This episode, I've enjoyed thinking about it. 
because I always need to come back to it. As a student of God's Word and as a teacher of God's Word, I realize, you know, I need to make sure I understand what this passage says, what it means, and how I'm teaching it. I, I, can't, I can't let go of that. I can't, I can't just think that I'm always right about it or that I couldn't have accidentally missed it. Change is hard. Change is hard. But sometimes it's necessary. If you need help changing in any way, if you have Bible questions, you have concerns or cares in your life, you're welcome to reach out to me. You can find me on social media. There, we have a, a number of godly brothers and sisters, even in our congregation where I am, who might be able to help you or give a listening ear. If you need something like that, you're invited to reach out. You're invited to visit us. If you're looking for a church home, you're looking for a group of people who are serious about God and about His Word, and you have questions about the Word of God, you can visit us at 2001 West Washington Avenue, Jonesboro, Arkansas. We meet on Sundays at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and 5 p.m. for Bible class and worship. We have a Bible class on Wednesday night at 7 p.m., and you would be our honored guest. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time.